0: The Bones and Bobbins podcast is now on Patreon. Would you like access to bonus episodes, digital extras, exclusive merch, and more? Join us in the Curiosity Shop at patreon.com backslash Bobbins.
1: Your generous support helps make the show happen and will also earn you our very eternal gratitude (laughs) and entry into our private Patreon-only Facebook group,
0: which is super fun.
1: It really is. In a dusty old shop on a forgotten old street, you'll find two witches with books three boxes deep. Next to rusty old needles and faded red thread, you'll come in for yarn but leave with pigments instead. Whether poisons or patterns were always discreet, where creepy and crafty and morbidity meet. Welcome to the Bones and Bobbins podcast. Hello, morbid makers. We are your slightly creepy, mildly disconcerting, somewhat sinister, delightfully discomposed, opaquely odd, merrily morbid, marvelously misanthropic hosts. And
0: this is Bones and Bobbins Season 2, Episode 9, Keep Your Filthy Paws Off All Silky parachutes.
1: <laughs> I'm Haley from Red Handled Scissors and the Very Serious Crafts Podcast.
0: And hi, I'm Natalie from Uberdark Designs, an official true crime creative. Whee! Um, so hi, how you doing? What's new? What's happening? What's going on?
1: Uh, well, uh, I'm writing some books. But I don't know if I'm supposed to be sharing any information about that yet. So my brain is um, very, very broken at the moment, (laughs) but not in a bad way, in a, you know, getting satisfying work done kind of way. So that's a good thing. Yeah, it's yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how are you? I am now fully vaccinated. Yay, me too. Uh, At the end of the week, I will be able to hug others that are fully vaccinated. So I'm super excited about that.
1: Oh, Um. God. I am really, really (laughs) not enthusiastic about that particular part of my vaccinated state. I know. Um, We are finally completely out
0: of old place. Had the yay Uh, and i was smart enough to hire a cleaner to go in and just do the cleaning honestly
1: that is the correct answer
0: it it yeah so we're now fully into our wonderful new house which we love and adore the cats are just super delighted with it uh they have the best windows with the best windowsills and we're surrounded by a shit ton of nature so they're pretty cool pretty exciting.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, so... I'm very excited about yeah. your new little house. I Yeah, I am too.
0: So, I we, we still have, like, loads of unpacking to do. I had to move my loom off of my, <laughs> off my table to, to put my computer on. So, we're jiggling things about, and things are still busy. I've got, uh, tomorrow I get to drive to Minneapolis Mac um, to drop off the last bits of the project I've been working on that's going to walk uh, Minneapolis Fashion Week.
1: Um, mm-hmm. So I'm super oh, excited yeah. about that. Those um, look so cool.
0: It was really fun. Um, my fingers are a little bit tore up. Uh, between, I bet they are. Between moving and, and working with the metal. Like I, I'm not one that really, just based on the fact of all the art and creating that I do, Like my nails aren't generally a thing that I care about, but I broke them down like I, I there was a point where i was like how are you breaking down even further there's not even a nail left at this point like, what are you doing
1: that <laughs> look i have actual nails they're done so pretty <laughs> well, they're about to go because <laughs> they are just long enough that they're gonna drive me crazy
0: yeah i i have to have short nails too i'm not a long nails person um, No. but so, yeah, so it's weird cause I had, you know, all of these things happening at once and this week is when it starts to like wind down and I can knock on, on wood, take like a deep breath, um, and yeah. just breathe. And now that we've got all of the things from the old house inside, now we can do a cleansing and just, you know, reset everything here like, yep. There's no point in doing it before we get everything here because they're going to bring old energy in anyway. We want to just, you know, make it clear. But it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely home and it definitely feels like home, even in the disarray that it is currently. So,
1: I mean, a certain amount of disarray, I think, helps make it yours. Right.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I always, I don't know, my. My creative spaces tend to be in disarray, like they cr- like oh I, mine aren't <laughs> I do creative piling like like I know where things are, but it's still I'm always like you know half into one project, half in another, and just trying to juggle between them all and
1: so yeah, well, i do that too, but I have containers, yeah, it's a whole thing, but I've, we all know that it. I spreadsheet for fun. So Yes. But
0: I have started with containers. Cool. I have started to get more organized with my with my stuff. So I'm pretty excited. I mean,
1: you know, whatever works for you. I know I can't create if my space isn't tidy because then my my brain isn't tidy if my space isn't. Totally get Um, that. But I know so many other people who can't work someplace that's orderly they need to have that creative chaos and i totally get that
0: i like the i like the chaos but i also like taming the chaos which is why and i know i've mentioned it on here before i am the go-to to weave
1: in your ends <laughs>
0: because yes. i like it's a satisfying it's like You'd be the, good
1: at needlework finishing too
0: yep 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 it's just that making yeah making order out of chaos it's that i look at it the craft equivalent of getting like your hair chopped off or dyed or when you have the (laughs) when you have that no control over anything else and you're like but this i can control that i understand so yeah we would like to take a quick break now to thank all of our fantastic curiosity shop members over on patreon and if you join us there this right here this moment is when we'd give Mm -hmm. you a totally normal and not at all creepy welcome
1: It's true. Although I'm kind of creepy. (laughs) I can't help it.
0: In all the best ways.
1: (sighs) Well, (laughs) I hope so. Anyway, uh, you're the best Patreon patrons. And we would totally go explore hidden old graveyards in the woods with you. Even if they're rumored to have a portal (laughs) to hell. I
0: mean, what's a portal to hell amongst friends? Among
1: friends uh-huh <laughs> yep that that's correct y- you know i don't have a good transition for this but i i think thinking, that thinking of escaping i think one could s- say <laughs> that um world war ii was like a portal yeah, to hell poof that... yeah yeah so uh, i guess we're gonna take that <laughs> portal to World War II. Um, So there were a lot of really interesting and creative uses of unlikely objects in World War II, and I've always found that to be really, really fascinating. But sometime this week, I think... Think on maybe the Underpinnings Museum's uh, Instagram, I think, I saw some underwear. Okay. That I became immediately obsessed with. <laughs> like you do. It's true. So these underwear were made with World War II escape and evade maps. What? Yeah. Alright, so. <laughs> Buckle <in. laughs> Is there any meaning to the term happy trail? Oh my god. It hurts. Sorry. <laughs> X marks the spot. Uh, yes. Okay. Alright. Um, So today, we often think of silk as a delicate and fussy fabric, a fabric that is so temperamental that mere water can stain it. And while that's true, you, you do need to know how to care for silk, especially in garments and upholstery, but its reputation for being easily damaged, that's completely undeserved. And just for the record, if you have water stains on something that's silk, get it wet and dry it not in the dryer. Yes. Like, lay it flat. They'll go away. Um, anyway, (laughs) that was just a bonus household hint for you, um... All right, so basically, silk could definitely kick your ass. Now, enter Christopher Clayton Hutton, the technical officer to the escape department in the British War Office, starting in late 1939. The thing about Hutton, cluddy to his friends, was... His mind just didn't work like other people's minds. He wasn't just a normal intelligence officer. In fact, when World War II broke out, this former Royal Flying Corps and RAF officer and pilot, who I should note, was briefly a newspaper journalist and seems to have worked in film publicity and also once tried to trick Houdini. Oh. Among other things. Yep. So.
0: So we could definitely. Like I him. said.
1: Oh, yeah. We would like him. We would like him a lot. Um, oh, um, like I said, when World War II broke out, Hutton decided that he was going to get back in the game. Um, so instead of doing the normal thing, like uh, joining up, he sent. Letters and telegrams to several branches of the war office with his childhood story of challenging Houdini <laughs> with a newly constructed escape box. And this is true. Okay. Um, and that story would be just exactly what MI9 wanted to hear. And it landed him smack in the middle of the POW escape game. And he created gadgets that, honestly, James Bond could never. Ooh. Yeah. So, he was basically real life Q. That's so cool. Which is, yeah, I mean, like, really, really cool stuff. Um, someday we will have to do a whole episode on Christopher Clayton Hutton because he's amazing. Um, and if you're wondering, Houdini bribed the person building the new box to use fake nails and escape. Oh! So, yeah, so it didn't work. Uh, but he did, in fact, challenge Houdini. It's pretty badass. And so, so there's that. All right, so... I'm not going to talk about Christopher Clayton Hutton, but instead, I'm going to talk about dresses and lingerie, because that makes total sense. Except it does make sense, because one of Hutton's major contributions to the escape efforts of captured troops was that his escape kits contained maps that were so thin and so durable that they could be folded up and hidden in a boot or a jacket. And they were so silent that they were virtually undetectable. That's smart. If, yeah, if a soldier were to be detained or just trying to keep a low profile. And they were also waterproof. Which is something that you want out of your right. maps, especially if you're going to stick them in your boots. Yeah, trench foot. Uh, so, the maps were printed on silk. Which is one of the stronger materials. Yes. Yeah. There are lots of numbers about just how strong silk is in comparison to steel, both spider silk and silkworm silk we're talking about silkworm silk here and i could not find numbers that agreed so we're just going to say that uh the thing that i saw most frequently was that pound for pound and diameter to diameter mm-hmm. it's stronger than steel wow
0: that's pretty impressive
1: yes but there are a lot of but and, you know, all <laughs> yeah. the other things involved. So, so yeah. These maps were printed on silk, which was brilliant. Yeah. Because you could sew them into seams. You could definitely put them in, like, compartments in the heels of boots. Or sew them into your jacket. Or paste them into the backs of books and then put the back cover over them. Yeah. So because they could, their job was to take up almost no room and to retain enough color and detail to actually be useful to a prisoner of war or someone who's, Plane was downed or trapped over enemy lines. And they worked brilliantly. And the detail was perfect. There was a little bit of experimentation that went into finding just the right ink to work. And it was an ink and, I believe, fruit pectin combination okay. that sat on top of the silk so it doesn't actually go and into it i'm not sure i think it definitely is affixed to the mm-hmm. silk it's permanent but um i'm not i think this kept it from feathering okay or at least that is the impression that i got and i could not find details on the ink but maybe they're not unclassified that's yet. possible that's entirely possible it is all right so after the war ended approximately 3.5 million silk and rayon maps were that were produced by british and american military forces had been released into the wild <laughs> Because that many had been released into the wild, they were declassified, and the maps themselves were sold all over Europe and were also used for things like scarves and handkerchiefs, rompers for kids, housecoats, and lingerie. Nice. Yeah. So, being Silk, the escape maps held both sentimental and historic significance, and they were valuable. And so they were often presented as gifts, because this was high-quality silk, in a time when you couldn't get Mm -hmm. it. So, because individual maps weren't particularly large, it comes as exactly zero surprise that they were often used to make lingerie sets. And one of the surviving examples of this repurposing effort is a bra and pair of tap pants. I love tap um, pants. Also called French yeah. knickers. Um, yes, so me too. Cute. That was one of the first sewing patterns I ever Aww. designed. Yeah. Um, so that set was made for the Countess Mountbatten. Yes, presumably those <laughs> Mountbatten's. Um, be- well, I mean... How many are there? Because nobility yeah. and title? I One must assume it was those mountains. Um, which was made out of a silk escape map of Italy. And the map was given to her by her RAF boyfriend during World War Two, And it's listed as being in the collection of the Imperial War Museums. And you can see it. Ooh. So it is a beautifully... Beautifully constructed set of garments. And definitely... They definitely aren't constructed in the way we do them now. But they are sort of ingenious in how they adjust and such. So I recommend... There will be a link, definitely, in the research materials. Yeah, and they're just cool. And I mean, also... Imagine getting lingerie made out of an escape map from your hot pilot boyfriend
0: Seriously.
1: in the middle of World War Two. Yeah, there's like, how fast would those panties right. drop? There's there's steamy books written, steamy books. <laughs> oh, I I have well, actually, I generally read war World War One I- related steamy materials <laughs> on this particular subject, but. Yes. Um, then it was scarves. Right. Scarves are um, nice. Yeah, but... the, the flying ace white scarves. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, cooling things down <laughs> again. In its collection, the Imperial War Museums, or in their collection, I guess, because there are multiple Imperial War Museums, they also have a gorgeous silk map dressing gown Ooh. that I would absolutely love to wear. And it's got, like, piping on it in contrast Ooh. colors. And, oh, it's beautiful. it have beautiful. big flowy sleeves? I, it's really similar to how one would be cut now. Okay. Like, surprisingly slim. Gotcha. But not, like, tight-fitting. Yeah. Like, just normal bathrobe Uh, proportions, at least. It looks like that. I'm sure that whomever it was made for, it looks great on them and not on (laughs) anyone else. All right. But, oh, and so they also have the silk map dressing gown and a child's sundress. And it looks like they have a couple of other pieces of that particular kind of ephemera, but there weren't images. So, I mean, it's more fun with photos. It is. Yeah. So, this is apparently still happening today. Um, Taking a style tip from Countess Mountbatten, a UK bride in 2016, named Hester Cox, not related to me, I don't think, commissioned a fashion designer and, I believe, escape map collector, Sarah Jane Murray, to create her wedding dress using vintage World War II escape maps. And those maps came from a former British Army officer who had repurposed some of them into a scarf. And the son of the map's original owners, or the map's plural, original owner, had Murray pass along photos of his parents along with the finished wedding dress. So the bride would have the personal history of the map's. To go with the repurposed silk in her wedding dress. I
0: love that.
1: Me too. And, like, that was part of the deal. Like, part of the son selling these maps was that whomever received the commissioned dress would get these photos. And I just think that's really cool.
0: I wonder what her inspiration or just
1: she is an artist okay. who often uses maps in her work okay and i th- it seems like she stumbled upon the existence of these maps in kind of a similar way that mm. i did and then went ooh <laughs> shiny and
0: it yeah, makes sense it literally that
1: makes sense exactly and so What makes these garments especially interesting to me and obviously to the bride Hester Cox, besides the history attached to them, is also how skillfully laid out they are. An actual, like, skilled dressmaker with a keen eye for balancing colors and patterns would clearly have been needed to make pretty much every example that i've seen because they're maps right so sometimes there's an ocean yeah and like sometimes eh, there's boring terrain yeah the very
0: typography would be
1: yeah exactly and so these garments are really really laid out with an eye for fashion and there are some really, really cool examples of nineteen like late nineteen forties, early nineteen fifties dresses that are made out of these maps yeah. in like exactly what you're imagining, like the button up housewife mm-hmm. bit and flare dress. And Oh my god, I bet you they're adorable. Oh, they're so cool. And there aren't many that survive. Yeah. I think one sold privately not too long ago, and the person researching them had only ever found two of them wow. in museum collections. So they seem to be pretty rare. Um, I mean, obviously, if only a couple have been found. Right. But I think that's because they were... Both small. Yeah. And... But they're not as small as you think. Okay. They're they're way bigger than you think <laughs> they are. But they were both relatively small. And also, you might not want to go get more of them. Like, that might be a tender spot. Yeah. And so... I, know, I just, I think they're really, well, really Plus, neat. if
0: you, I mean, the needed skill to combine the patterns in a way that is aesthetically pleasing would pose a challenge as well. While many, many, many women were extremely skilled in sewing, that would take another level that they might not have had, um, given the lack of a lot of pattern and stuff.
1: Well, right. And, right. I mean, just pattern layout. Right. With I, I mean, I always buy an extra yard Oh yeah. for pattern matching. Mm-hmm. And, like, that simply wouldn't have nece- – it wouldn't necessarily have been possible. Right. So that was some creative cutting. And one of the examples that I've seen – and there are also more recent ones that are still being made. Okay. And – There's also a fashion line that sprang up because of Cold War era maps, like a box of pristine ones that was found. And so this is still happening today, but my favorite, favorite sewing detail on these is that often the selvages were used for cuffs, so they say what they are. Oh. and i i just think that's so cool yeah. and a lot of them are stamped secret oh that's and cool. so yeah it's just a really beautiful and interesting way to use something that could be like either it's the best thing you've ever seen because it's the reason that your person came home right or It's another reminder that they didn't. And so apparently I think about 750 prisoners of war are known to have escaped using these, but they were all over. Yeah. So as word spread about their existence, it's likely that probably a lot more people used them in some way. Right. But and they're just one piece of a of a whole kit which is very, very cool and involves monopoly boards. Oh my goodness. And Yeah, and so I will talk about that on another episode. But I'm really obsessed with these yeah. silk scarves and also the items made with them. And they're all the fuck over etsy really right now oh yeah and to take a take a dive or maybe lock down because there were so many (laughs) wow but i would be afraid to cut into them right but i guess it's one of those things where they aren't i mean so many were produced that they're not valuable And the ones that are valuable are in collections. You could
0: scan it and have
1: fabric made based on it. Oh, I'm sure that exists. But it's not the same. I have not looked, but I don't know why it wouldn't. But just, I would love to make, like, a slip set or something. Oh, yeah. Just... I don't need everybody else to know I have it. I
0: even just like the tap pant, tap, pant and cami. You yes. Know, summer jammies kind of thing.
1: Indeed. Indeed. But this, the um, Countess Mountbatten set was an actual triangle bra. Ooh. Which, so it was like structured. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm yeah. I mean, look. it looked super comfy. It looked like every bra that I have worn during lockdown. <laughs> But but yeah I mean it would have been real cute on and I don't know what the Countess Mountbatten looked like and I didn't look her up because I want to imagine a romance novel. I hope she
0: rocked that shit.
1: (laughs) Oh I I hope that the boyfriend made it back from the front and that he immediately saw. Yep. I, I hope she surprised him yes. with them because he definitely gave her the map, mm-hmm. but he didn't give her the map as lingerie. Yeah. At least as far as I can tell. That was good. Yeah, there's,
0: I, so, I want a story. Lord, I
1: hope she surprised him. <laughs> I want, that needs to be
0: a book. Somebody needs to write that so I can read it.
1: I, I mean, it's got to exist, I think. I don't know, my, I am a Regency romance gal, mm. so I have rather missed that particular era. But maybe I'll have to go back. I am about to be spending an awful lot of time <laughs> working with my brain and my hands, but not with words. Well, some, some words, words. Minimal words. But fewer <laughs> words. Anyway, so that is the lingerie and other wearables that were made from Silk, Escape, and Evade maps that were the brainchild of Christopher Clayton Hutton. That
0: is amazing on at least 23 different levels.
1: Yeah. Um, Oh my goodness do I want... All of, them. <laughs> all of it all of it all of it the kids clothes are really cute oh i bet that that was where many of them ended up as like kids clothes because they were the right size right i'm picturing for, uh, like clothes. fat quarter size but were they bigger than that bigger than that they would have had to be uh, well i guess it probably depends on what the map was true like what area true, true. I don't really, I don't think I've seen them lined up together or any like various ones lined up together. I'm sure that exists, but I did not look for it. But they are, they're big, but they're not so big that you could not fold them down to basically nothing. That's so smart. And they were definitely used as scarves, so they were long enough for that.
0: Ah, yes, yes, yes.
1: So I don't know. Um, But they are really neat, and you can definitely buy the handkerchiefs. So I guess we could all answer that question by Googling.
0: I will do the Googles.
1: Handkerchiefs. <laughs> but, yeah, I just, I love that idea. And I m- imagine that because they were often repurposed into kids' clothes, and kids' clothes often get handed down until they're just worn out. Mm-hmm. I bet that's why not. A whole lot of garments survive. Right. But I also imagine that there are an awful lot of these garments in people's attics and they don't know. Oh,
0: definitely. Probably a, a higher concentration in Europe than here, I would
1: imagine. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So anyway, I'm obsessed. They're really cool. Understand the so. end. So, so
0: today I'm going to talk about parachutes. Yay! Uh, and also silk. Also silk. Believe it or not, the idea of dropping soldiers from the sky goes back to <laughs> like
1: Benjamin Franklin. Uh, appa- oh gosh, with his petal flying contraption.
0: Uh, he was apparently old Ben was trying to figure out how to do it with balloons, which shockingly not very practical the <laughs> right. he
1: did do the pedal flying contraption I think right so that sounds oh, right. anyway
0: <sighs> carry
1: on balloons <laughs> um yes. that's questionable right uh the
0: concept what kind of balloons <laughs> <laughs> right the concept of parachutes in general uh was around much longer a conical parachute appears for the first time in the 1470s, in an Italian manuscript, which was slightly mm-hmm. preceding Leonardo da Vinci's conical parachute designs. Okay. But today we're skipping all the gory trial and error <laughs> and jumping right to 1930.
1: Yeah, I think it's da Vinci that is the flying contraption, because Franklin's the uh, kite.
0: Oh yeah, kite and key. Yep. Uh, so, Italy's. Which is a bad idea. <laughs> right. Right.
1: I say this as someone who has actually been hit by lightning. Oh, my God. It's a bad idea.
0: <sighs> that doesn't sound like a fun time at all.
1: At all. It was all right. It's, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. Standing right in front of my mother. Oh, my goodness. She was not amused. No, Nope.
0: I would not have been either.
1: Nope, my hair stood up. <laughs>
0: I would imagine.
1: Wow. Yeah, I was uh, maybe 13, probably, maybe slightly younger. Anyway, that that might be a story for the Patreon. Oh.
0: <laughs> Yay! So Italy's development of the airborne forces in 1930 uh, pretty much started turning that concept into a more practical one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it would be Germany and their Fallschirmjager, Shirm- Fall which translates into parachute ranger uh uh what is it fallschirmjager f-a-l-l-s-c-h-i-r-m-j-a with an umlaut g-e-r
1: fallschirmjager jager
0: jager that that would be the first use of paratroopers in the 1940s during world war II.
1: jager means hunter
0: ah So Jägermeister is a master of Hunter and also the nightmares Uh of many college students.
1: Oh, God. (laughs) That just reminds me of a frat party where I broke my ankle. Oh, no.
0: (laughs) So the UK launched their paratroopers in 1941. And by the time the U.S. finally jumped into the mix at the end of 1941, we had our own as well. So quick side note. There were some dogs that actually parachuted down with British forces, and I may have some thoughts on that, but I'm gonna leave that for another day. Don't fucking drop dogs with parachutes. I'm just saying.
1: All I want to do is say "dog" in a New York accent. Dog. 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 It's dropped the dogs. So yeah.
0: Besides being an actual safety device for pilots and a means of transportation down to, I thought <laughs>
1: so you said pirates. Did I say pirates? <laughs> Oh, I, <laughs> I don't like, think what? so. I just heard pirates. <laughs> I heard what I wanted to hear. <laughs> <No way>. Safety <laughs> device for pirates, specifically. That would be... No it, one else.
0: He wouldn't deploy in time before you hit the wall. Air pirates. <laughs> Air pirates. Yeah, that's a whole nother one.
1: <laughs> well, That's, that's Firefly. There,
0: you're right. So, so bonnets, bonnets aside, uh... <laughs> No. So.
1: (laughs) I'm trying so hard to keep my mouth shut. (laughs) Okay. It's a really pretty (laughs) bun. He does look cute in it. He really does. Uh, All right. Okay.
0: So, besides being an actual safety device for pilots, and a means of transportation (laughs) down, to battle for soldiers and poor innocent puppies... Parachutes oh. have always also been and they still continue to be used to drop supplies to areas that are unsafe or remote.
1: I think the space dogs and the parachute dogs should get together and form a union right? and Definitely. be like, I mean, retroactively, I guess. Be like, nah, yeah, pretty much. We're cool. Serious. We're good. What? Yeah. Nope. No.
0: Uh, what of my personal favorite uses uh, was to drop paradummies down as a distraction during combat. These dolls were... Oh, it's like the Night Witches. Yes, yeah. These dolls were also known as Ruperts and were made of burlap and shaped like soldiers.
1: Ruperts were only... I want to know who Rupert was. <laughs> There's a story there. Right. Uh,
0: Ruperts were only about three feet tall, but that height difference wasn't detectable from the ground looking up. Maybe it was Giles. It, oh right, uh, it instilled fear, like instilled fear, just the same. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to the parachutes strapped to their little burlap backs, each Rupert c- carried recordings of gunfire and exploding mortar rounds to add to the authenticity of like a simulated air
1: attack. That seems like a lot of expense, right? For a dummy or throwing out, like, that parachute and right. the the all the things? And wow. They
0: also, they had drawstrings at the top of their heads, their wrists, and their ankles to allow the dummy to be filled with straw or sand. And when mm-hmm. the Ruperts landed, they would self-destruct, exploding into pieces and leaving just a charred white parachute behind. Cool. Now, you may be wondering...
1: Spontaneous human combustion. Right?
0: This isn't a war podcast, Natalie. What the hell is your point? And that's a superb question. My point is, is that during World War II, there is a veritable shit ton of parachutes dropped all over Europe. Like, yup, more than thirteen thousand Allied paratroopers landed just on D-Day alone. And that holy shit. Yeah, that is a lot of fabric. Just what kind of fabric are we talking? Well, initially, parachute canopies were first made of canvas. However, silk proved to be more practical because it was thin, lightweight, super strong, easy to pack, fire resistant, and springy. Like, it's pretty much...
1: Silk is great. A
0: pretty, yeah, it's pretty much a fucking wonder fabric. After World War II broke out, though, and once <laughs> once the U.S. entered the fray... We could no longer import silk from Japan as we were now pretty much considered the enemy in Europe.
1: Well, yeah, Hitler
0: used U boats to destroy and like any supply ships getting to Britain. And these nations and the rest of the countries involved in the war banned the sale of silk to the public and commandeered all the silk available from retailers as they were needed for parachutes and were used for powder bags for naval guns. So mm. Due to the shortage, nylon, which was a relatively new fabric invented by DuPont, um, replaced silk for parachutes.
1: Oh, DuPont liked the paint people? Yep. Interesting. The
0: first person to test that nylon parachute, 24-year-old badass Adeline Gray. And I encourage you... To check out the article in the show notes about her and do a little deep dive. Hell yes, Adeline. Because Adeline was already like, a, she, I think she'd performed like thirty-three jumps already at that point. Um. So yeah, shit, pretty badass.
1: She was taking care of business. She
0: was. She was. She was. So where did all of this fabric go? Well, there's several answers <laughs> to that. I know. <laughs> I right, have got the maps down. Uh, today, though, I'm going to talk about what happened to it. When it was being repurposed. So during wartime, everything is freaking rationed. Supplies of any kind, harder to obtain. So creativity becomes a survival skill in many ways. And Mm. giant circles of silk or nylon go a long way with some imagination. Now, before I dive into the creative uses, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that this was a horrible, bloody war that resulted in the death of what is roughly estimated as 74 million people.
1: Oh, shit. Many
0: parachutes were immediately used as bandages, slings, death shrouds, and even body bags for those in battle. And ultimately, that is the most sacred use of them. Yeah. For those parachutes that made it out of the battle area, practicality was the first order of business. Many French women used the parachutes to make swaddles and baby carriers for their children. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they were turned into hammocks where they provided some joyous reprieve. Everyday items that uh, they no longer had access to were made slightly luxurious by this fabric. Um, So they might take it, add some yarn to it, and boom, turn it into a lightweight blanket. Um, There's so many really cool designs of where they ripped it into strips and then took those strips wove them into purses um into skirts so much clothing was made from it but my favorite Mm -hmm. of the popular uses of the parachute material was wedding dresses yeah and there are so many stories to choose from when it comes to these dresses um i chose one from the we are we are the mighty.com dated on april 29th 2020 um And, you know, most wedding dresses tell, like, a love story, but this one has a history lesson, kind of woven into silk threads. Cool. First of all, it's just to be, to wear a silk wedding dress in an era of depression is, I mean, you'd have to feel like an absolute princess. I mean, just the, just giving, it's such a weird juxtaposition of wartime and depression and then silk, you know, it's just it's such an odd yeah. combination. And it's so interesting how this the use of this this material from jumping out of a plane to walking down an aisle like the journey that that one piece of fabric takes. So during yeah. World War II, uh Major Cloud Hensinger had to bail from his B-29 bomber packing a parachute that turned out to be a blanket, a pillow and a wedding ring. Hmm. his crew had just successfully made a bombing run over, uh, Yowata, Japan, on the way back to the base, and one of their engines caught fire, and everyone had to bail out over China. Now, in 1944, much of China was still occupied by the Japanese, who were always on the lookout for downed, like, allied av- avi- aviators. Um, right. So, as if, like, the Japanese troops wasn't enough, the nights there were cold... And dark and he didn't even know if he was in occupied territory or not when he landed. And he Mm -hmm. was also injured because when he landed, he landed on a pile of sharp rocks and was bleeding. So he kept a hold on to his parachute after landing to and he utilized his blanket to make it through the night and also Mm -hmm. to keep his bleeding to a minimum. And eventually he made it to safety. Now, whether he had one of the maps on him that helped him, who knows? Um, maybe maybe uh when the war ended he returned to his native pennsylvania where he reconnected from a fr- with a friend from his childhood a girl named ruth the two began yeah, the two began dating and in 1947 hensinger wanted to propose to his lifelong friend when he got down on one knee he proposed to her without a ring instead he held his lucky parachute in his hands He told Ruth how it saved his life and that he wanted her to fashion a wedding dress from the dirty bloodstained nylon. Mm. Right? And of course she said yes to both questions. As she pondered how to make the paratrooper's dream gown, she began to worry about how she could ever turn the nylon into a real wedding dress. One day, walking by a store, the inspiration came to her. She passed a frock that was itself inspired by the one worn on Scarlett O'Hara in the 1939 film <laughs> Gone with the Wind. She patterned the well, dress well. to match uh, that while designing a veil and a bodice to boot.
1: She patterned it to match a widow's dress?
0: Yeah, it was, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but all right. So while other, you. <laughs> another local seamstress sewed the veil and the bodice, Ruth sewed the skirt using the parachute strings to lace the skirt higher in the back than in the front. Keeping oh. with tradition, Hensinger didn't get to see his wife's parachute dress until she walked down the aisle. And uh, according to Ruth, he was pretty happy about it. The couple oh. was married for 49 years before Hensinger died in 1996, in the years between Two other generations of women were married in Ruth Hengzinger's parachute dress. The dress is now on display at the Smithsonian Institution's Museum of American History. Parachutes were harnessed to the pilots' backs for a foundation of safety during World War II. And this one Mm -hmm. became the foundation for generations of love and marriage.
1: That's cool. Isn't it? I love a good generational love story and you bring in like a wartime relic and just all of the things. Right. Yes. Oh, that that gets me in the feels. Right. It got me in the feels, too. There were so many stories to
0: choose from, but I really liked I really liked all the elements of that one and that it also proved that it. you know, the blanket, you know, he used it as a blanket. He used it. To you know, yes. To fix his wound, and then he used it to woo
1: his woman. <laughs> so, I I, I love that, and I think I've seen it in person. It's beautiful. Actually. It's
0: actually it's very mm-hmm. it's very pretty. I have seen so many. There's so many dresses that were made from them. Um,
1: I mean, but it makes complete sense. It does. It, what kills
0: me is that they're all so very different. It's so interesting mm-hmm. how same time period, same material, but all so very different. Just like the women that wore them, I'm sure. But,
1: yeah, uh, oh, I'm trying to remember. I think maybe Queen Elizabeth, um, her wedding dress. I know that a bunch of British people saved fabric rations and sent them to her. Oh. Um, but I think her wedding dress might have been parachute silk. That's very But I cool. could be completely wrong. I but I know that there was something because it would have been seen as an extravagance that was just not fine. Right. Um they there were ways that the that people came together to make the royal wedding, the royal wedding
0: that's awesome
1: yeah that's that's interesting um if uh, someone out there listening knows if i am correct or incorrect on that <laughs> queen elizabeth thing do tell us
0: i wish i saw there's some and i will sh- i will like i did link it in the notes there's some photos of like um some purses some skirts um yeah a really sweet blanket um, I wish that I could have found more visuals on, like, the baby carriers and things of that nature, swaddles. There wasn't a lot. It was focused I a lot. I couldn't find much
1: of that either.
0: Right, it focused a lot on the wedding dress, which I get because that's a a big moment in anybody's life. And it's a, you know, it's it's much more romantic than... I made a baby swaddle for my kid out of this. Um, but the Indeed. practicality should not be overlooked either because it was a time of war. And I am sure that they, the people that were lucky enough to get their hands on a parachute, um, like anybody, that if you just had, you know, a bolt of fabric drop in your lap and you are, you know, in a time of Yeah, and I mean, that was
1: the yardage right. of fabric.
0: And that's the thing is it's hard. I tried to find even just the yardage on an average parachute. And I could not find, I found uh, some, I was on a tactical textile website. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: were you? I'm telling you, whoever's in
0: charge of our search histories hates us.
1: (laughs) I fell into Kevlar earlier, so. (laughs) Uh,
0: And they talked about like the current production rate but i couldn't get uh and then i was i found some parachutes there was one uh for sale on amazon mm-hmm. and i paused for a minute oh tell
1: me you didn't no no no
0: cuz <laughs> it was like $1500
1: but it oh, was no
0: it was a 100 foot one and it was these different shades of green uh and cool. it was it was really pretty
1: I wonder if it's going to kill you. Uh,
0: Yeah, right, right. (laughs) You'd think I would hate Green, right? Um, But it was lovely. Uh, But yeah, so the actual size and like diameter of of parachutes was kind of tough to find. Um, And there's different styles of them. And it's funny because when I went into this, even though though I did the frickin' Night Witches story, like in my head, Mm -hmm. I didn't really think of paratroopers. I was thinking of them as a safety thing. And I was like, there, there can't be that many. But then when I was like, there 13,000 just, you know, and that one day it was like, that's banana. Pans. Oh, yeah. Just it's 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 hard to wrap my head around 75 million people. And it really is. And at least 40 million of those were civilians that were. Had abhorrent atrocities happened because of Hitler there was yes. at least 20 million of them were uh soldiers so yes and there's you know some in between there that were um i'm not sure what you know what they'd be classified as to make it up to that but mm-hmm. but yeah it just it is disheartening to say the least and it's something that i don't know how i could ever how any of us that haven't lived through that can fully Imagine. I mean, 9-11 seemed huge enough as it was. Um, COVID, losing half a half million people seems huge enough. But then when you're talking about 75 million people, it...
1: It's unfathomable. Yeah. I... Well, it broke a lot of people's brains at the time. Yeah. And I don't think that it's possible for us to actually get it.
0: As long as we make sure it just doesn't happen again ever. I think
1: that's the most important part. That would be ideal. Yeah. It it really would. <sighs> yeah, that's that's kind of heavy. Sorry. And <laughs> Oh no, that's it should be.
0: It yeah. It was I just kinda it, it stuck with me that it was important, it, just based on who we are. I mean, we oh, yeah. we acknowledge we acknowledge the heavy things because they need to be acknowledged, and we don't step away from things that are uncomfortable because
1: it's true. And I mean, I have a slightly uplifting parachute silk story, and also kind of a heartbreaking but also hopeful one for our patreon and like there is that balance in almost every garment made out of any of these items right
0: right where where there was loss there was also life
1: and i mean every time one of these was repurposed or something Mm -hmm. i mean it was generally made into something useful
0: right with purpose
1: yeah it was exactly with purpose and like allowing people to move forward right so
0: even even the blanket which seemed luxurious because it's a silk blanket was done so out of practicality not necessarily i mean silk's really
1: warm right it's an it's very i have silk long underwear yep because it's extremely insulating um, if you are done, I have a, cor- a quick corrections yes. uh, note. We got a tweet from Aaron Apollo, and he sent the tweet right after the Don't Ever Laugh as a Hearse Goes By episode, mm-hmm. so season two, episode seven. And he wanted us to know that we misspoke with regards to the Church of Satan. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, so his tweet says, hey, just wanted to let you know that it's the temple of Satan that has the bodily autonomy thing, uh, not the Church of Satan. Okay. They're very different ideologically.
0: Oh, thank you so much for that clarification. I appreciate it and we will make note of it.
1: For sure. Yeah, and I meant to do that. That was in my the last bad. episode, and then I forgot. So thank you, Erin, yes, for letting us know, and thank you for being nice about our <laughs> obvious. My specificity when I was all excited. Hey, guess what? <laughs> oh well, I mean, it's so easy to. I mean the the names are incredibly close. Mm. I think it's super easy to accidentally misspeak and i think it's really great that aaron
0: caught it absolutely thanks aaron All right. so that would does that bring us to the weekly worst way to die which does not oh, live this God. up yeah yep yeah.
1: um no song today <laughs> just weekly worst way to die yeah mine is just world war Two. yeah
0: that's valid. Mine is my parachute doesn't open.
1: Yep. Oof. That would suck for however many minutes. Right. It. To, you'd would have to take... watch your impending doom. Man. Uh. Although some people don't die. Right. With that stuff, like people have fallen out of airplanes and survived, which blows my mind.
0: There was one on oh there was a military site that had parachute facts and there's somebody who fell from an enormous height and only broke 3 vertebrae and they didn't sever the spinal cord. So wow. essentially, you know, some rehab and he's back on his feet. Um
1: that's amazing. Right. Human beings are ridiculous <laughs> in all the ways all the ways every single way oh my gosh so hey do you want
0: to be spooky internet friends
1: <laughs> after all of that after yes all of
0: <laughs> we are bones and bobbins on instagram facebook twitter pinterest and you can just find all of us over on bones
1: and all of us. All of us. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget to rate and review this podcast because it pleases the internet gremlins. And that's how we show up in recommendations so that other morbid souls can find us. And these gremlins, <laughs> exactly. Y- you can feed them after midnight. Yes. It's fine. <laughs> Is it midnight? I believe so. Is that- All right. It's been a while. It has been. Since the 80s. Yep.
0: <laughs> he was just last week. What are you talking about? What is time anymore anyway?
1: Uh, it was only 20 years ago, right? <laughs> right. In the 70s were 30 years ago, for sure. For sure. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
0: And on that note, let us leave you with some advice that you should never, ever forget. Lock your doors.
1: And don't run with scissors. Don't do it. No. It only ends in tears. Yes. And if you're lucky. Right?
0: Can't cry if you're missing an eyeball. Just saying. I mean, you could cry well, out of one. It would I don't be know awkward. if that's
1: true. Your tear ducts aren't in your eyeballs. Oh, that's
0: true. <gasps> that would suck.
1: Let's huh. not think about it. Nope. Just don't do it. Just don't run. Yeah. Then we sick. don't have to think about exactly. it. Exactly. Oh my goodness! And on that note, have a really lovely rest of your day, yes. listeners. Go like eat a cupcake or yes, something. Yes, cupcake. Do something for cheerful.
0: Stay away from the portal to hell.
1: That's true. Don't don't go near that. I just can't. <laughs> <sighs>
0: <sighs> oh, my. Times. Each episode of the Bones and Bobbins podcast is written and researched by Haley Pearson Cox and Natalie Hoyce. Our music was composed by Loyalty Freak Music. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Bones and Bobbins. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, or check us out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts so you won't miss a minute of our strange and creepy content.